Hi, everybody. A few notes before we get started this week. The show is a little different than normal. Um, at first, we have an interview and a little analysis with Michael David Smith of Pro Football Talk. He's the managing editor there. Um, we talk about the uh, Aaron Rodgers, generally speaking, if he's overrated or underrated and why, uh, Matt LaFleur and some other things. And after that, um, it's just JR and I. Um, Matt's out with a little bit of a sickness this week, but he'll be back soon. Uh, I also wanted to mention... Um, we are part of the Milwaukee's Tailgate Network Patreon, and um, coming up soon, we're going to have a few additional rewards that you can get for supporting this podcast on Patreon at MKE Tailgate or Patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Um, for those in the $10 tier, we're going to have a fantasy football league. Um, we're going to have, we'll take as many as we can get, but anybody in the $10 tier, um, it, sometime in the next week, we'll announce a cutoff on Twitter, but um, can join the league. It'll be a um, pretty standard PPR. Um, we'll go up to 14 teams, I think. 16 is a little bit of a stretch. But um, keep an eye out for an announcement about that. Um, but you have to be in the $10 tier to do that. If you're in the $10 tier, you get um, a, a, you get to a bunch of bonuses on the Milwaukee's tailgate side as well. You get uh, J.P. Breen's um, midweek mini-pod. Um, so along those lines, if you are in the $5 tier on ours starting soon over there again, um, we're going to start doing a little mini midweek podcast every week with some statistical details, some, some little nuggets, maybe give you a little advantage in your fantasy league, maybe just tell you something interesting um, about the Packers matchup that week. So keep an eye out for that. Anyway, that's it. Um, on with the show. The clock's running down, the team's losing ground to the Hi, everybody. Uh, for this episode of Reporting is Eligible, we have a special guest, um, the managing editor of Pro Football Talk, Michael David Smith, um, who I've known kind of off and on for a long time since we both lived in Chicago for a while. Um, Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Paul. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Um, so first of all, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Um, My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to have you on partially because I think we're kind of simpatico on a lot of just how we think about football generally, but especially on how we think about Aaron Rodgers, um, who seems to just kind of not skate by, but his reputation is sort of unsullied for almost everybody um, based on a lot of seasons that happened a long time ago. And since the end of the 2014 season, when Jordy Nelson blew out his ACL um, in the preseason, he hasn't really been that player again. Um, he's still referred to as often like the most talented, the most physically gifted, things like that. But um, what do you think of Aaron Rodgers going forward? And, and do you think um, he'll ever get back to that level again? Well, I, I think the last question is the most important. Yeah. Will he ever get back to that level? And I do not think he will. Uh, and when I see people like my friend Chris Sims calling him still the best quarterback in the NFL right now. I really think Chris and other people who have Rodgers that high are really over-remembering like a five-year period from 2010 when he won the Super Bowl MVP to 2014 when he won his second regular season MVP and are really overlooking what has happened over the last four seasons because, you know, he just hasn't been the same quarterback. Some people say, well, his numbers haven't declined that much. And it, it's true. His, his numbers don't look real bad until you also remember that 
the passing environment in the NFL has improved. I mean, numbers uh, of the league average quarterback are better. Last year, he was below the league average in his completion percentage. He was below the league average in his percentage of passes that went for touchdowns. I just think that when you look at where Rodgers has been for the past four seasons, it's really hard for me to say he's ever going to be the same guy he was in those MVP seasons. Yeah, and I I agree with that. One of my hobbies is just looking up sort of why Aaron Rodgers is good at all. And one of the things that really has been, eh, not disturbing, but he gets a lot of value out of his legs. Um, He actually, like, he's a little too similar to Mitch Trubisky for my liking, where uh, I don't really like QBR as a stat, but if you look at it, like those two last year got most of their value from running. Um, And if you just look at their passing, we're much more middle of the pack or or less than that. And that just strikes me as just a terrible way to to age into your late 30s if you're a quarterback. Uh, Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that, um, you, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he undeniably has big play ability um and he also undeniably has the great ability to avoid interceptions and so you would think that well if you can make those highlight real plays that we still see from Aaron Rodgers maybe not as many as we saw five years ago but we still do see and you avoid interceptions as he did last year to an amazing degree you would think those two things combined I mean, you're still a really good quarterback, but then you start to remember how many incompletions he has, how many sacks he takes, how many plays he doesn't make. And I think that's really the key to understanding the way he has declined. You know, it, it, interceptions aren't the only bad plays a quarterback can make. Incomplete passes are bad plays. Taking sacks are bad plays. We see too many of those negatives, and they're, they're not outweighed by the positives that we do still see, but not at the rate that we used to see them. Right. He's sort of not a flashy bad. It's one of those things where the the analytics people on Twitter really like to focus on those throwaways that he has, sort of jokingly, but also sort of not. Um, so I could just EPA on that the other day, that everyone is negative 0.75, which it's not a sack and it's not an interception, but when you lead the league in that by a great amount, it adds up over time. Um, so... I, I I agree with I, I don't think that the Packers should be overly confident in his abilities going forward. And um, once they started paying him, like when he was at his best, they had Jermichael Finley, they had Greg Jennings, they had Jordy Nelson. Like Donald Driver was like their fourth receiver, and he was still had something to give. They, they probably can't put that team around him again either. And I don't know how you deal with that other than you know compensate maybe on defense, maybe by protecting him with running like the Saints did a little last year, but. Yeah, and they just don't have the money to do those things in large part because they gave him such a big contract. And you were, to your credit, one of the few Packers fans who recognized that that contract didn't make a lot of sense given the other option the Packers had, which was first tell Aaron Rodgers, look, you've got two years left on your contract. We expect you to play out the contract you signed. And then second, say... If you are still playing at that high level, oh, by the way, we still have the franchise tag to use on you. So Aaron Rodgers really didn't have the leverage to demand the contract he got, and yet the Packers gave it to him anyway. And I think at the time, 
it felt like, well, we, we just have to do it. He's been such a great player. But you don't win Super Bowls by rewarding great players for things they did in the past. That just isn't the formula for building a good team. Yep, completely agree. Um, the other thing with him is I I do kind of wonder, I compared him to, to Steve Young the other day. I, th- I think it's weird that at every other position, baseball, like any other position of football, we kind of expect guys to decline starting around age 30, 31, except for quarterback, where the consensus for most people is is focused more on the, you know, Brady's and Favre's of the world. But that's not really the norm. Um, we just happen to see these couple guys who are super outstanding, who do manage to last forever. Um, but it, it's really unusual for that to happen more than it is usual. Yes, that's right. You know, you can play the position at a high level past 40. We we do see Tom Brady has done it, but you also can be old at 35 at the position, just as you can in virtually everything uh, athletic. I mean, there, there are very few things where a professional athlete is just guaranteed to just be fine into his late 30s, you know, and, and I think we focus on outliers at, at quarterbacks, certainly like Tom Brady and, and to a lesser extent Drew Brees right now. Um, but we kind of, when we focus on outliers, we're missing the large pack of quarterbacks who actually start to decline in their early 30s and by their late 30s have retired. Yep, exactly. And I think he fits the mold for that more than he does the Brady Breeze. He, he's always back there buying time, taking hits, um, using that mobility. I mean, Brady gets the ball out fast. He's great at it. Breeze, to a lesser extent, but still gets the ball out fast. He strikes me as a guy with a pedigree that's not going to age well. So that's part of part of why I, I didn't think they should necessarily leap into that extension. But uh, it is what it is. He could be worse, but uh, a couple of years from now, I wonder how they're going to look back on this. Yeah, I, I think that's if we're looking ahead to the the twenty twenty two, the summer of twenty twenty two, and we're talking three years from today. I think it's pretty unlikely that we're going to be sitting there saying, "Boy, it sure was smart of the Packers to extend <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, give him that huge contract," you know, because he's still playing at an MVP level and he's worth every penny. I, I think it's quite unlikely that that's what we'll be saying at that point yeah indeed all right so um i also wanted to talk to you about the the new packer coach um who is matt lafleur came over from the titans um a lot of packer media a lot of my friends included seem to have a great amount of confidence that a he'll be better than mike mccarthy and b that that they have some idea about what kind of offense he's gonna run um i am i'm kind of a skeptic on both lafleur and mike Patton, frankly but um with Lafleur, like you, you are more into like nationally covering football than I am for for sure. Do you have any opinion on how he's going to be? Well, if if you had asked me a year ago or even like November of last season to name some of the assistants who I thought were going to become head coaches, I don't think I would have named Lafleur. I didn't see him as that kind of the hot assistant coach that, that teams are really looking for. He's running the offense that every team wants. That He wasn't one of the guys I would have put on that list. Um, I, I think one of the things you and I have discussed 
in the past is uh, he was actually allowed to leave for a lateral move <laughs> to go to the Titans, yep. which which always makes me scratch my head a little bit. How how great was he as an assistant if if the team that had him under contract was willing to just let him walk? Um, I didn't necessarily think he did a great job as an offensive coordinator last year. So I, I didn't really look at him and think, well, this is a guy who is definitely going to be a head coach. On the other hand, I also think it's fair to say that it's just really hard to predict yeah. which assistants will be good head coaches. There are there are assistants who, at the time they're hired, people are saying, boy, he doesn't really have the credentials to be a head coach, and then he's a good head coach. There are also longtime coordinators who are among the most respected assistant coaches in the NFL who just don't make it work as a head coach. So very tough to say. So although I wouldn't have listed him as one of my top head coaching candidates a year ago. That doesn't mean he was a bad hire. Just means he's more of a, a kind of an out of left field hire. Yep, I think that's fair. Like that's, I kind of felt that way about Frank Reich when he left the Eagles for the Colts. Um, I talked to a lot of my Philadelphia friends about who who gets credit for that, and it was all Doug Peterson. But Frank Reich appears to be very very good, and um, you know maybe yeah, more- and. Frank Reich, by the way, was not even one of the Colts candidates right, that's until right. after Josh McDaniel spurned them. So, it, you know, even even the Colts hadn't identified Frank Reich as uh, a top candidate until they were left <laughs> in a very bad situation when Josh McDaniel spurned them. And now I think Frank Reich has done a better job so far anyway than I would have expected Josh McDaniels to do. So you you just don't know. Um, it, it, it's it's just really really hard to tell which assistants are going to be good head coaches. Yep, right. Totally agree with that. We're we're hopeful, but there's really not much to go on. I'd say my biggest fear with Lafleur is um, I, I, McCarthy's play calling got stale. There's no doubt about that. But I did like the run pass mix that they went. I like that they leaned pass heavy. Um, I just think his plays weren't creative and his passing offense didn't work. And I'm worried that Lafleur's going to come in here and just upset that a little bit. Maybe run just slightly higher quality plays, but do some of the things I don't like with the running game, but at least the Packers have a good one. So it could be worse also again. Um, so I, you're a, a, a Michigan guy. I know you're a, a bit of a Lions fan. What do you think about Matt Patricia um, so far? In his first year, I was not really impressed. Um, I think he, he, although he doesn't call the offensive plays, he's a defensive coach. Um, he, I think, is one of these coaches who also kind of has this like run the ball mentality, real teams run the ball. That's what tough football is all about. And I actually thought that last year in particular, we were seeing things like the extent to which he really wanted LeGarrette Blunt involved in the offense, <laughs> even though it was clear LeGarrette Blunt just had nothing. I mean, he he just didn't have anything left. And and it was really difficult to see the Lions um, focusing on LeGarrette Blunt as a centerpiece of their offense when you could just see it wasn't going to work. Eventually, Kerryon Johnson supplanted him, and Kerryon Johnson was a better running back. I I still think in in the long term, it doesn't really make a lot of sense that they've invested so much in Matthew Stafford and then they turn around and say, well, 
our identity is going to be a run football team. Um, but, but, you know, they, they did at least improve when carry on Johnson was the runner instead of LeGarrette Blunt. That also made me question though, why it took so long for the lions to realize that carry on Johnson was the better of their two running backs. That's always something that I, I always, I always feel like when it looks to everyone on the outside, like the guy who's starting isn't as good as the backup. And then eventually the backup proves that I always wonder, well, why didn't the coaching staff realize it when like every fan I know was already saying it. So, yep. Agreed. Bad self-scouting is always a good tell for a, for a team. And I do kind of feel yep. bad for Matthew Stafford. Just his gifts just seem to be just whipping the ball down the field. And he hasn't really been in an offense that lets him do that uh, for quite a while now um, since Jim Bob Cooter took over probably. Yeah. And, and it's such an important part of that. The quarterback and coach mix is, is so important. You have to have a coach who runs an offense that gets the most out of what the quarterback does. I mean, the classic example that everyone kind of makes fun of is Jeff Fisher's offenses. Just, you just could not evaluate a quarterback <laughs> in that offense. You just, what, you know, Jared Goff goes from Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay and it's just such an obvious night and day difference. And I think that you're right that Matthew Stafford has also been one of those quarterbacks where he becomes kind of hard to evaluate because you don't see the team asking him to do what he does best. And it would be interesting to see um, what would happen if the the offense was asking him to do what he does best. But I don't know that Daryl Bevel – the current offensive coordinator is going to run that kind of offense either. So yep. difficult to tell what you have in Stafford when you pay a lot for his big arm and then you're not letting him use it. Yes, indeed. Um, and just to sort of round out the North, Mike Zimmer's boring, so skip him. But so I think we both like Matt Nagy quite a bit, but um, I, the one thing on the bears that I kind of wonder about is how the defense is going to um, function after last year, just because, I do think it's a step down from Vic Fangio to Pagano, or yeah. Um, just I like Fangio a lot. I actually wanted him kind of to be the Packer coach just to up the defense there, and didn't happen obviously. And then I, I do feel like their personnel's gotten worse than they sort of realize. Um, and uh, well, Packer fans will identify a Clinton Dix, but um, like losing Callahan for Buster Scrine, that seems like a, a pretty significant downgrade as well. Um, so I, I'm sure they'll be good, but. I do wonder if they'll they'll take a little bit of a step back, uh, maybe a little bit better offensively, but I wonder about that defense regressing maybe a little more than people think. Yeah, and of course, the defense was so good last year that it really can't right. help it's not but get take better. a step back. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that losing Vic Fangio may have been the biggest loss of any assistant coach in the league. I think he, he might have been the most important assistant who changed jobs in the NFL this offseason. So I think that's a pretty big loss. Matt Nagy was my choice for coach of the year. Uh, I thought he did a phenomenal job. I thought his offense, he really, I, I thought he inherited an offense that wasn't very talented and really made the most of the talent he did have. I think he made Mitch Trubisky look better than he really is. I definitely agree with um, that. Like if you look yeah, at so, how Trubisky like kind of is on the eye test and then look at his numbers from last year versus when he had Fox, like that improvement was very substantial. And I still don't think he's that good, but they got a lot out of that guy. 
Yeah, they, they really did. I, I mean, Matt Nagy, it, you can see he can really coach offense. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if in his second year, the offense uh, it actually looks pretty good. But I also think the defense likely takes a step back. Um, Fangio, I think, uh, certainly losing him hurts. I would also just say that I would bet you that Khalil Mack will not have as many big, splashy plays as he had uh, last year. You know, not not to say that Khalil Mack will not be a very good football player, but last year it, it kind of felt like every time the, the opposing offense did something wrong, he was like right there, right place, right time. Credit to him, but that tends not to repeat itself. Individual defensive stats can kind of rise up and down depending on some things that are not always within that individual defensive player's control. And I would bet Khalil Mack won't have a, as splashy a season as he did last year. Yeah, I, I think they had so many things go right for them on defense. Not that they're not an outstanding defense, but just turnover-wise, splash plays, so many big plays that defenses tend not to to have happened two, two years in a row. So I'm sure that the Bears will still be very good, but I, I do kind of think they might be a little more vulnerable anyway. So um, both of us are, I would say, eh, fans, at least knowledgeable about football advanced statistics um, analytics. Um, and they've taken, I'd say, a pretty big step forward over the last like year, year and a half. I, I see more, more guys on Twitter getting some notoriety, like Ben Baldwin, who now writes for The Athletic from Field Goals. Um, Josh Hermsmeyer, probably pronouncing his name wrong, but, uh, so I went through this when, co- like focusing on baseball a long time ago. And I think when baseball had its analytics revolution, that a lot of, first of all, I think fire Joe Morgan is responsible for this and Ken Tremendous and Mike Schur. Um, but I, people have a tendency to talk down to people and not really sell their message very well. And I see that happening on football now too. Um, I think people are really overconfident with a lot of what they believe about analytics telling us about football. Um, do you kind of see the same thing with, with those guys? Yeah. And, and to expand on what you're saying about yeah. fire, Joe Morgan, Ken tremendous, Mike sure uh, to be clear, Mike sure is a brilliant writer oh, yeah. of comedy. Absolutely. So he can do that in a funny way, but I think when other people try to a- adapt his mocking tone, they're not as funny and it comes across meaner. Yep. Absolutely. And it should, and I think that 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 is a problem that we do sometimes see in football analytics. That you know, it, no NFL head coach is a doofus who knows nothing about football, right? I mean, they they all certainly know a lot about football. Now, some of them would be better coaches if they would be more open minded about what analytics has demonstrated, and, and it's absolutely valid to criticize them for those shortcomings. But I do think that, that there can be a tone of mockery that takes it too far. And that um, really is, it is counterproductive to the ideas that we want to be spreading um, to, to come across like you always are mocking people rather than trying to educate people. Right. And uh, just to, push that a little further in baseball analytics a lot of what they thought originally when they started kind of doing it at a high level ended up being wrong like 
things like ignoring defense, they just didn't have enough information when they first started it. Like a lot of Moneyball is about the fact that you can ignore defense for offense. And that turned out to not be true. And I, my suspicion is that there is a lot, there are a lot of people right now making a lot of bold pronouncements about the proper way to play football that are going to end up with that thrown back in their face at some point. Like coaches who, who sell the running game, who, who like to have a strong running game, I'll wager that they know more than people think they do about the effects of that. If you talk to any like former lineman, like they'll all tell you up and down, like we love firing off the ball. It, it's good for morale. It's good for, it is good for something. So um, just because EPA doesn't like it um, does not make it so automatically, I would say. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think we might find that unsurprisingly, Bill Belichick is like way ahead of what a lot of people think. And because we've seen the Patriots, you know, they'll win games passing 50 times. They'll win games running 50 times. And I think that we may find that the the real answer is on average, passing is more effective than running. But there are reasons when running is more effective than passing and that you know, maybe Bill Belichick and Ernie Adams in their secret lair have figured this out and they're just not putting it on Twitter. So the rest of us aren't privy to everything that they've discovered. Right. I think that's probably true. I, I, I think everybody knows, like, it's certainly possible to pass too much. Um, that That is definitely the case. So um, it, the level maybe hasn't been reached yet where people are passing too much in some instances. But, I mean, that has to be matchup dependent hugely. It has to have a huge, like, personnel impact as to whether you're good at it or not. I know that last year on the Packers, um, Rodgers had a very down year. Um, Aaron Jones' yards per carry was about the same as his yards per attempt. Like, that's getting close to the level running does become more efficient. It has to be, especially against certain certain opponents. So, Yeah, and, uh, you know, generally speaking, running... Uh, you know, in generalities, or at least what yeah. what coaches would tell you is, running is safer in terms of uh, turnovers. Running is more likely to churn out first downs. You know, there there are reasons to do it, and situations to do it, um, and, and so you do have to be careful about overstating um, the the uselessness of running. And I, and I would also just say that. When I, I I do think running backs are pretty interchangeable. That's not the same thing as saying running offenses are interchangeable. Right. You know that there are other players involved in the running offense, and their influence uh, may be quite important to helping a team win. Yep, I would agree with that. So. Um, just to all those analytics people, tone it down a bit. I'll try and teach a little bit more. And <laughs> otherwise, you never know what's going to happen. Like tech gets better and people learn more things. And coaches are not just all dummies. Um, all right. Um, I think we can probably uh, wrap up. Do you have anything that you want to uh, plug, mention that you're working on? Uh, no, just uh, I'll, I'll just say that, you know, Paul, you're one of the best in the business. I love the stuff you do covering the Packers. So I'm going to plug you and uh, everybody should be reading everything you write about the Packers because I know I do. Ah, that's very kind of you. Thank you very much, Michael. All right. Um, that's uh, Michael David Smith, the managing editor for Football Talk. Thank you very, very much for joining me. 
Thanks for having me, Paul. Hi, everybody. It is episode three of Reporting is Eligible. Um, we are a little bit of an odd show tonight. Um, we, get, we have a, a short short bench. Uh, it is just JR and myself. Um, Matt is uh, off sick somewhere. And uh, so we're going to do this a little bit brief. Uh, we're going to have an, an interview with uh, Michael David Smith of Pro Football Talk stitched in here. Um, but what we are going to talk about first is the preseason game that happened on Thursday. <sighs> And it was kind of a painful preseason game. It was the Baltimore Ravens, a you know pretty good franchise, very run focused. And uh, Jer, I don't know about you, but it was what it was like the epitome of the unwatchability of preseason. It was very bad. And you know there was that stat that I had not heard before that was hiding in plain sight about them winning what was it, 15 consecutive preseason games or something of that nature? And that actually, when I heard that, I thought that's a little bit of a red flag. Like, do they take, they must take these kind of seriously. And we already know that Baltimore's kind of got a nasty streak in them, you know, on defense, at least they have over the years. And so it honestly didn't, it wasn't not necessarily just because of that stat, but not yeah. having Aaron Rodgers play, it's not that bad, right? Like, it's, 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 it's alarming that he may not actually get a chance to, to, implement some of the new things with coach Matt, you know, that coach Matt LaFleur is yeah, implementing, I, but I, I was actually fine with that. You know what? The less preseason, the better. All I do is sweat out those series anyway with Aaron Rodgers in there. So it's probably for the best. Yeah. I think it's fine that he doesn't play. I, he probably needs some time, um, but maybe not against that team. Um, like he does need to go through live action at some point. Now, maybe joint practices are good enough for that. I don't know, but like brand new offense. I, I feel like he always starts last year. Obviously he didn't, Yeah, but he did, he did kind of start rusty last year against the bears actually before he got hurt. Um, and that's kind of its own thing as to why that turned around. But I, I, I'm not going to say he doesn't take enough preseason reps, but uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's a little concerning to, to see him take zero. I, I kind of miss the days when starters would at least play the first series of everyone. It was kind of nice just to see. him. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's some, I think Peter Bukowski made this point. It's not, a, it's not a bad one that, What's the point of playing two series? He gets in there. I mean, do you really glean anything from that? Does he really learn anything from that? Is the game action that much more valuable in a preseason game that whatever, however many plays he plays there, you know, 12 plays are even worth it to, to risk the injury in that window. Maybe, maybe he's right. Um, I, I don't, I don't really know. I, I think this is an imperfect formula. It's getting tweaked. I, it seems anecdotally we've seen starters less and less over the past five years as, as teams become more mindful of these injuries. And I mean, even in that first game with Oren Burks going down, like even as limited as they were virtually nobody, no starters, they still managed to lose a starter. So, uh, so I guess it's just a, it's, it's a tough, there's a no, it's a no one situation. If they, if they stink out of the gate, everyone's going to blame the fact that they didn't play enough in the preseason. And uh, if they play and they get hurt, that's a problem. So there's honestly no way to, there's no good way to handle this. They just got to survive four weeks of football of, of quote unquote football. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true. It, um, yeah, I do think it's a little bit of a problem for the NFL. Not, I mean, not that they can't sell any product that they put out there, but 
like they really are harder. Well, harder it depends. It depends where it's located. <laughs> I'm not sure they can sell it in Winnipeg. <laughs> that's actually a good point. Like uh, apparently, what this game is like half sold out at this point. Um, and uh, it it is interesting to see how they struggle to sell tickets when they're not bundled into the season ticket package, and they make people buy them and go to them. Because um, this one's not full, and you know it's in Canada. It's not really a destination. If you're in Green Bay already, nothing against Canada. I love Canada, but uh, <laughs> Green Bay natives are not like running across the border to travel to Canada to watch a preseason football game. So you're really relying on the selling of the NFL itself when you do that destination game. It's a weird one. Like I'd like to actually have been a fly on the wall of how it got there in the first place. I have to think the NFL assumed because the Packers are essentially gold when it comes to traveling fan bases. And I mean, it is, it is in the North. It's, it's sort of like if you, if you project the the border of North Dakota and Minnesota due North, you, you could get there in like 10, 12 hours, depending on where you are in the state of Wisconsin. So I'm guessing they thought that the Packers would bring in some people that way and that people in Canada would just be fascinated to see it. But it's not like Canada is starved for American football. You know, they've had, you know, they've had the CFL. This isn't like this. It's not like going over to England where you don't have any other, you know, any other American football. That's, they actually have a, a better um, Sunday ticket package than we do down here, too. Like it's it's I think available on not basic cable, but like it's not, you know, tied in with DirecTV like it is here. You can actually get it pretty regularly without much money. So they can see way more um, actually NFL football than we can, too. So that is yes. good. That's very a good weird to go to Canada. Canada. You should go to Canada to watch their Sunday ticket instead. Um, <laughs> That's a really good suggestion. How many Packers fans are going north just to watch the game on Sunday <laughs> ticket at a bar in Manitoba? Probably a good amount. That actually sounds pretty fun. It um, does sound fun. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> ga- game-wise, I mean, it, it was pretty awful. A lot of people who played well last week were bad this week. Ty Summers, chief among them who we talked about, missed like 15 tackles. Um, uh, like, uh, did anybody like uh, Curtis Bolton? He played well. Um, he might be a starter. Um, he's an undersized inside linebacker, which is the only kind that we like on the team. And, um, he was everywhere in a tackle machine. I just wonder if he plays against first stringers, how he'll look. But there weren't really any other Packers that really acquitted themselves where, well, Darius Shepard, he was good on special teams, but, um, defense kind of got pushed around. Quarterbacks looked bad. Um, backup alan lazard was okay uh tight ends did not too much cornerbacks man oof, brutal and then nobody could tackle anybody on baltimore which is kind of baltimore's mo but uh i i don't know it, it's analyzing a preseason game it doesn't matter anyway <laughs> um at least the kickers look good <laughs> yeah i i i made that that matchup between mason crosby and uh sam yeah. ficken is kind of kind of becoming Mason Crosby's uh, as, as I guess I would have expected. I'm sure a lot of people would have expected, you know, Alan Lazard is getting a little bit of love from, uh, from the quarterback, at least uh, during the midweek sort of interview session. So that's, that's very promising. And, you know, that's still going to be an interesting, there's still a couple really interesting position battles. I'm not sure the the preseason game put us closer or further away from understanding that, but I, I am curious who, what you thought of, uh, Rashawn Gary, because there, this has been a very interesting narrative with him. We've gone from the guy being drafted and nobody understanding that. And then I think slowly we've all talked ourselves into the possibility that he actually is a great fit for Mike Pettin's system. And he's got these raw gifts and he might actually be a difference maker. And then it's sort of like, well, maybe he'll be a difference maker down the road, like next year. And now the little bit we've seen of him has been pretty spectacularly bad, but 
I don't. I, I still don't know where we're at. Like, are we planning on him for 2019, or is he more of a 2020 project at this point? I, I, I don't know. Like, I'm a little. I'm a, it makes me a little nervous. I don't know what you think about him. I first, I didn't like that pick in the first place because I have a, I have a two-step scouting process that I use, which is, are you at the at least the minimum athletic uh, capability for playing in the NFL, and then are you good at football? And at Michigan, he really. He really struggled. Now, I know some guys will tell you on tape he did a lot of dirty work uh, in the trenches to free up other guys. But somebody as athletic as Rashawn Gary should have been able to like win one-on-one occasionally in, in passing situations, which Michigan opponents had a lot because they were buried a lot. And he didn't do it. Um, he really didn't put up. And he's been really, really raw in camp. Like Sometimes those guys develop, but it's... It's a kind of the rare case that you develop a, a advanced pass rush repertoire um, too late after you were drafted. So I'm worried. I'm worried about him now, and especially since a lot of what you heard about him was that Chase Winkovich is that his name yeah, um, was the beneficiary of Gary in college. Um, Pro Football Focus has graded him much much higher. A lot of other places have too. Um, his like yeah, Chase is having a really good preseason. Chase is looking really really good, and I think it calls into question you know, just how true that narrative was at Michigan. Um, so, like, it, he went, by the way, he went way later in the draft. So nobody doubts Gary is super talented, but this th- that effort in, a, again, a meaningless preseason game was very re- reminiscent of his Michigan efforts that got him criticized and that had him falling, you know, somewhat down the draft board. I mean, a lot of times a guy like Gary would go in the top five. He's as athletic as guys who've gone that high, like, like, the clownies of the world and things like that. But this is what you get when you draft him and you've got to motivate him and develop him yourself. I am skeptical that you can actually do that. So uh, I actually wrote about him a little bit this week in the Shepherd Express. Um, uh, back in when the Jets were um, just after 2010 season when they almost made the Super Bowl, um, they ended up drafting Muhammad Wilkerson um, to add to the D-line. And he's a defensive tackle, not an end. But a lot of what was said about Wilkerson in college was said about Gary in college, too, that he was one of the best athletes of the class, that he would go much higher, but just wasn't there on every play. And they actually did get the most out of him, um, at least for a couple of years. Um, but it popped up again. Wilkerson, that, that, you know, he ended up on the Packers for a reason. Um, part of that was it reared its ugly head again that he just couldn't keep it up all the time. Ah, so I, I'm not a big Gary fan. I hope that doesn't come back to bite him. So you think Curtis Bolton could be a starter, huh? Yeah, I tell, do. Tell me what makes you say that. All right. Well, um, for start for starters, Oren Burks isn't going to be a starter. Um, I, for, first of all, no, let's let's, let's qualify starter at inside linebacker with the fact that there's not going to be a lot of them on the field at any given time. There, that's a going to be a sub package um, rotation for a lot of you know. There's going to be a lot of nickel and a lot of dime, but and Blake Martinez is obviously the entrenched starter there, but. Um, He's looked good throughout the preseason. He's looked good in both games. Um, not as good in game one as game two, but um, he's very, very athletic, and he is kind of what they, they look for in that sort of hybrid inside linebacker. He's kind of like what they wanted Josh Jones to be, and he's actually about the same size as him. Um, not that he can drop back and play safety, but he's pretty good in pass coverage for a linebacker. So he's he is teeny tiny. He is, So if you look at his, his relative athletic score... He, he grades very highly on everything except height and weight, where he's like in the 10th percentage of inside linebackers. <laughs> um, oh, man. So, I mean, the question with him isn't really, can he move? Can he play? It's just, can he, will he get overpowered, especially if there's not blocking in front of him? 
But on the Packers, there kind of is blocking in front of them. That's one of the places that they excel on defense. That's where Kenny Clark and um, you know some some big defensive linemen live and keep guys off of him. So um, he's been consistently impressive. He's been I think he's been practicing with the, the ones um, for a while now. So there's that too. Um, I would bet on him to definitely make the team. And, you know, on their starting sub package with two inside linebackers, um, I bet he'll be there in week one. So I guess then if we're moving on from the game, we got to sift into the uh, the TMZ of it all with Aaron Rodgers <laughs> and, uh, and Matt LaFleur maybe disagreeing about whether or not he needs preseason reps at all in these preseason games. I know we just kind of touched on that, but uh, do alarm bells go off for you when you see that, they maybe have different interpretations of uh, of what is needed, what is expected, if he's going to play in this Winnipeg game, if he's going to play at all. I, I don't know what to make of it, man. I, I keep thinking I'll, I can dismiss it for so long, and I I've, I really haven't paid very close attention I to their to their sort of dynamic, I guess. Yeah, I, I I suspect they're they're on the same page about this, and I, there's probably some veteran privilege occurring with with Rogers. I I wish his so let's assume for the sake of this conversation that Aaron Rodgers is basically fine, that he would definitely play in a regular season game, that he would play in most preseason games if, you know, in 10 years ago. Um, but, uh, oh, that was a weird noise. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Right. I'm not even actually sure what that was, I'm to not. be honest. My phone started uh, started talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm used to the normal ones. but Anyway, um I, I wish he would have picked something besides uh, a fake bad back if he's healthy, just because it is an old man injury. And <laughs> it makes you think, like, there's there's like a 20% chance that it's legit. Like, um, And bad backs are, they're terrible. Like, no, as they say, no one ever had a bad back. Like, once you have a bad back, you have one forever. Now, he's probably fine. And, it, it like, I, I doubt LaFleur cares if he plays in too many preseason games. I doubt. I, I'm sure Rodgers doesn't want to play in too many preseason games, even though he'll never say that publicly. So I don't, I doubt there's much of a, you know, a, a rift along those lines and veterans just do this. I, at least he's not like freaking out about his helmet. It could be way worse. <laughs> yeah, that is true. He was among those who had to change their helmet and yeah. uh, he handled it a little differently than a certain <laughs> Oakland Raiders receiver. I have got to go back and watch hard knocks. I have not, I have not caught up with that show this year and I have got to go see it. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're doing a good job with commercials for it right now, aren't they? Um, they sure are, yeah. It's, it seems to work out that way. There aren't many years where there isn't some sort of drama that uh, that plays into the uh, to the HBO show. So uh, kudos to the NFL. They find a way to, to ingrain the drama in there. <laughs> they are the best. They're the best at marketing. Um, but anyway, like it, it, it's fine if he doesn't play. And I would like to see him out there because I do think he needs reps. But hopefully he's not hurt. Like it, he keeps saying, like he's like kind of missing practice and saying like, oh, it's acting acting up on me. If he's actually hurt, then this becomes a big deal very quickly. Like yeah, that's terrible. But he probably isn't. So it's worth it's worth watching. Like backs are no good. I don't know. It's true. Hey, let's talk about the offensive line. We don't talk enough about it, and I love I love the big fellows. We should talk the, about uh, the offensive line because the Packers' offensive line is great. It is good, right? And and fascinatingly, you know, I don't think a lot about offensive guards. I'm guessing most people don't, but uh, you know, you take them for granted. You just assume Lane Taylor is going to be a starter, and now you learn that he's in a little bit of a battle with Elton Jenkins. And uh, I don't know. I, I know we had uh, I know we had uh, one of our questions this week was about offensive line personnel and you know 
it's it's kind of starting to feel like maybe they kind of they have they have some depth they have some options it's kind of a it's kind of nice that to me i've always i always view them as super important because keeping the quarterback healthy is the only thing ultimately that i really care about on a week-to-week basis so uh it's nice that uh, that the guys up front are going to be are going to be capable of doing that yeah and honestly aaron Rodgers does those guys dirty by scrambling around and taking much more many more sacks than right he really should. and actually that's why i think there would be some value in some preseason snaps even if it's just too serious just for those guys to get used to that rhythm and because it's it's been talked about how how, how the guys like Bakhtiari and Bulaga and, and the guys who've been there a long time, they they start to really get a sense for Aaron Rodgers' movements. That's a that's a big deal for those guys. It is, and keeping him upright. Um, so they're, they're uh, first of all, it, it's great that Elton Je- Jenkins is kind of pushing Lane Taylor because Lane Taylor is a if he ends up getting pushed to backup, he's a good backup to have. He's super versatile and has already shown himself to be. He can play a passable tackle, but he's good from guard to guard and in center. Um, so if he ends up there, that's a good problem to have. And uh, they have had an elite run game when they run for three years in a row. Those guys can maul, and Bakhtiari is the best left tackle in football now. So like they're really unsung heroes. Rodgers almost always is close to leading the league in sacks. It, by the way, sacks is basically a quarterback stat. We have good data on this now. Quarterbacks really do run themselves into more sacks. He got... Every once in a while, they would get blown up the middle last year at, at at guard, where they were rotating in Byron Bell and whoever else was in that position. Um, but for the most part, they they keep him really clean, and he just gets himself in trouble. Um, so they've looked. By the way, they've been pretty good in preseason too, um, across the board as a unit. Even like the backups who were bad last year have performed pretty well. Um, like well, not Jason Spriggs. Not well. <laughs> is he is he still there? He's no. gone. Okay, I was like, yeah. I thought he was. Loose. I thought he was gone. He, thank goodness, he was just awful. Um, that was tough. That was tough. Tough draft pick. Yeah. Not not a great outcome there. Yeah. So he was just just he was sort of the Curtis Bolton of tackles. He was. Um, he, his RAS was extremely excellent, except for his size, which was very 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 small. And you could really tell on that guy. <laughs> Boy, did he get pushed around. Um, but. The line, yeah. the line looks like a real legitimate strength. Elton Jenkins looks like he's going to fit right in, and I think probably start. Um, and they will just have good depth, which is excellent, especially if they plan to run a lot more this year, which is the stated plan of Matt Lafleur. So um, that part is in good nice. hands. Still a little worried about receivers, but offensive line. Um, that the Packers have like always been good at developing it for. The last like twenty five years, they've all always been pretty good. It's great. Yeah, and they anyway. get guys with low draft picks. I mean, going back to like Mike Wall, Marco Rivera, Mark Tauscher, they find them out of thin air, man. And uh, you know, David Bakhtiari was a was a second team All Conference guy in the Pac twelve. You would have never thought of him as, oh, that guy's going to be the best defense. You know, the yep. defensive, the best <laughs> uh, left tackle in football. You would have never thought that, but they've they've. Whatever work somehow that works. They can't maybe get, you know, so some of the other areas on defense maybe a little more challenging. But the offensive line they figured it out, and that's with a, the draft of Derek Sherrod, which didn't work out because of injury in 2011. Yeah, that was unfortunate. They really do draft and develop well there. Um, yeah, poor Derek, that Derek Sherrod pick. That probably should have worked, but oh well. They, I feel like yeah. they used to kind of be like this with receivers too, where they could always find them anywhere, and that kind of started to go away. I think. Um, a lot of the rest of the league kind of caught up with what makes a good receiver, but not so much offensive line. Um, the, the Packers really do still seem to enjoy an advantage there and still manage to kick out passable guys with regularity. Um, 
which which is good because they're expensive to buy too. You don't want to have to go into free agency to get offensive linemen. They tend to be beat up. Like that's one where you go downhill pretty quickly and expensive. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a good strength of the team. It's a good thing that they can build on that. <laughs> if their quarterback was. As far as receiver, I feel like Javon Moore. He's dead. I mean, we've talked about him being a fringe. Yeah, we talked about him being a fringe guy. Anyway, this car accident he was in, terrible as it was, you know, he was cited for it. It's already putting him by. He's already a little behind the eight ball injury. Uh, he was not going to make the team before that happened. Now he's definitely not going to make the team. Yeah. And I am curious with Jay Sternberger coming back, how he fits into the whole thing. And that's, uh, you know, I think the tight end group is kind of interesting. And there's some injuries there too, Jimmy Graham a little bit. But I, I really don't know what to make of what they have with their tight ends right now. Yeah, I, that's one where I could see there being some surprises. I think um, Mercedes Lewis may end up being kind of the odd man out a little bit, even though I think he's kind of a good fit for what they want to do. But Tanyan's been been quietly excellent um again not that quietly he's had some some moments but yeah no people know that guy's name by now big time he's i think he'll he'll be a fan if he's not a fan favorite already he will be shortly um (laughs) but like i i I think jimmy graham's kind of washed up i think tanyan's probably better than he is at this point and one of those young players i wouldn't i would not be surprised to see starting sternberger still in the concussion protocol um kind of a kind of a weird pick and hasn't had a, really a big chance to shine or do much of anything in camp yet so I, I, high enough draft pick that i'm sure he's not in danger but he, not he's a, he's a weird one like he's not a super great fit not a super great athlete not really that much of a blocker kind of like jimmy graham in that way um <laughs> but uh I, I he might be kind of a develop year before he really makes an impact i, I don't see him doing much this year especially with how i don't know if deep's the right word like <laughs> I, I'm bizarre on the tight ends. I think Tanyan's way better than everybody else's. I think Graham is washed up, but will get too many targets. I kind of like Lewis for what he can do in run-pass um, variety, and I don't like Sternberger, and that's probably completely different from how the Packers view that position. So I don't I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah, if they had listened to the Gospel of Paul, they wouldn't have drafted a guy like Rashawn Gary or Jay Sternberger in the first place. That so, is uh... almost certainly true. Actually, <laughs> tight ends tend to be kind of overvalued in the draft, so I would wait till later to pick any of them but um uh, he he part you know part of the problem is he just appears to me to be worse than the ones who went directly ahead of him by quite a bit and if you were going to take a tight end i would have rather you taken hawkinson or i forget who the other good one was but um that's where i would have i mean i I don't like using the capital at all but if i'm going to do it i would prefer to get a better one than what he appears to be but tanya yeah, Robert Tanyan. He's the he's uh he's on your list. Breakout stars of 2019, Robert Tanyan. Before we get to those questions, let's uh, if there are any. I don't actually know if there are, but uh, wanted to mix in a little bit of a plug and uh, and some good debate and something that I know is near and dear to your heart, and that is list making. Uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah, yeah. we didn't get a chance to talk about this last week when the Journal Sentinel, the uh, the company for which whom with with whom I am employed. Uh, they uh, they put out a list. Uh, I had nothing to do with this, but a list of the 100 greatest Green Bay Packers of all time. This is the 100th anniversary season uh, of the Green Bay Packers. They have they have played 100 seasons. We're gonna and, talk uh, about this, huh? All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I so so they set it up because they wanted to make it purely on ability, which is a tough, obviously a tough sell in any context. But when you're talking about people from the 20s, I I, I don't know how you compare them to the people of the 90s, but or beyond. But whatever. And uh, famously, at this point, had Bart Starr ranked number 11 uh, overall 
and uh, some some names that like Vern Llewellyn. I'm not sure people will even know that name. He was very good, but like number five, Vern Llewellyn, and then you've got a guy like Starr again. And the the argument being that Starr's physical gifts weren't necessarily what made him such a such an iconic part of the franchise, and uh, he wasn't necessarily a passing quarterback most of the time. So I guess that's how you defend it. But you know, five championships in seven years, mm-hmm. kind of. I don't know. Like there are definitely people even in the building that are kind of puzzled by that. I am definitely puzzled by that. I think you put Bart Starr in the top five without, you know, like that's, that's your like off the top of your head start of the list, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? You've, you've looked at this stuff a little bit. What do you think about that? Yeah. So uh, part of the thing with the old players is if you're going to, if you're going to have players from, from the olden days ranked as highly as they did on that list, I think you have to have star higher. And uh, he is he is underrated for his passing ability, partially, I think, because he was a humble guy who would tell you to your, to your face, if you asked him, that he wasn't a very good passer. But that's not true. Uh, this is you, you cannot read this anymore because the website um, locked itself up. But there, there's a website called Cold Hard Football Facts back in the day, and they did a really good statistical breakdown of how, Star, how good Star was in his era. And he was like absolutely outstanding, especially in playoff time. Um, he, he was a great and accurate passer in, uh, in an era when there wasn't that much passing. He actually threw a, a good amount more than you might think. Um, he's got a bunch of iconic passes. I mean, Max McGee was, didn't catch two touchdowns drunk in a Super Bowl because there was a bum throwing in the ball. Um, uh, yeah, he did reach back to get that one-star pass, but a lot of the rest of that was just dead on. Um, so like, Star, Star isn't just one of the greatest quarterbacks of like his era or the Packers. He is of all time. He is probably a top 10 quarterback all time, in my opinion. Um, and he, uh, first of all, I'll tell you, I didn't read the list at first because I just assumed that either Star or Hudson would be number one. And then when I learned that they were not, then I read the list. So congratulations on doing that to me. You, you, <laughs> you got to click. You click um, the link, baby. Yeah. You click the link. That's what we ask. And, uh, I I think at this point in their careers, I would have Star over Rodgers just because I think for his era, he was better as a quarterback in his era than Rodgers has been in his era. Um, he was consistently the best quarterback in his era or the second best quarterback. And Rodgers was the best quarterback in his era for like five, six years. And now he's like a top five, top 10 quarterback in his era. So like that's not as good, and I think I'd probably put Rodgers behind Favre at this point. But I mean, he's got more career to play out, so that's fine. But um, Star should be higher. Hudson should absolutely be number one, and it's ridiculous that he wasn't. Um, he is the Babe Ruth of football. He is much better. Wow. He is much better than everyone else of his era to a, to an absurd degree, and changed the way football was played. He holds mod- like he, he holds passing records that stand up to modern passing game like scrutiny. Um, he he had one season where he led the NFL in receiving yards by like 700 receiving yards. Um, to, that was number two. It was 500 something. Um, so like Don Hudson is definitely the best Packer of all time, and it was ridiculous that he was th- number three. So interesting. Those are some takes. I don't know if I would I would imagine there are many people out there who would say Bart Starr was a better quarterback of his era than Aaron Rodgers is of this one. You got all kinds of recency bias in play, but. The average fan thinks of Bart Starr in the ice bowl. You know, they, he thinks of him with with a pretty good, you know, pretty good familiar guys who are blocking for him, running the football. So 
uh, I could see why people might uh, might undervalue what he's able to do as a passer. Don Hudson is number one, though. That is honestly not something I would have thought of. I was fine with Favre, if, you know, and obviously some. If if you do a list like this, obviously number one, it's subjective. Number of two, course. it's splitting hairs. You know, we're talking. I mean. It, I actually think if you were doing it on pure talent, there's no way Favre could possibly be number one. But if you introduce things like narrative and and franchise, you know, I- iconic, whatever substance, I do feel like Brett Favre could be a, at least in the conversation for number one. But uh, that's not that's not how it was ranked. Um, but it's it's you know obviously it's all fun and fun and games. Good good conversation topic to uh, try and debate that. A lot of guys on that list that I had never heard of. You know, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. If- if it's 1950s and above, if their if their name isn't on the facade, you know, there's a good chance that, that we've never crossed. You know, that a lot of people have never heard of those names, that so it's true. good to get it was, some it, of that info out there. It was definitely an interesting read for historical purposes. Um, it did still support my hate hate of lists in general, but <laughs> I mean, it was obviously we will agree to disagree on that. I love me some I know lists. You do. It was obviously very well, like super well researched. There's a, a lot of good stuff in there about um, both old timey and some modern guys that you may not remember being as good as they actually were. So um, right. that, that was definitely... it, they, they weren't just pulled out of a hat. Like Cliff uh, yeah. Crystal is as, as knowledgeable as this as anybody in the planet is alive. Yep. And, uh, and obviously Ron Wolf has a, has a pretty good sense of the history of the organization as well. Indeed. All right. Should we, should we do some questions? I, I pulled them up. Let's, we've, we've got a couple. Let's do it. Let's fire them off. All right. So one we actually sort of answered already, which was Jay Google, who asks us questions every week, um, um, which is, are the guys on the O-line the right style of players for, for LaFleur's offensive style? And will we see the running backs become an integral part of the passing game? Um, would you like to go first? I mean, you could. You're you're equipped to answer this. All right, I'll go first. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, so, you you tell me. I mean, offensive line play is, is a mystery. It's an art form, and I know there are people who understand it, like Robert Mays at the Ringer understand it, stands it. But like, all I know is, did Aaron Rodgers live? I'm happy with it. Did yeah. they get some yards? I'm happy with it. I'm I'm at that level. I do think there's this idea amongst amongst fans that you can you can be a good pass blocker or a good run blocker but you can't really be both and i kind of get that because when you're pass blocking you are in a passive position and you're kind of relying on agility to get yourself in position but it's not as stark as that and a lot of the time good pass blocking lines are also good run blocking lines that is the case with the packers um those guys are by and large very agile but also like david bakhtiari is a giant fast man and whether mm-hmm. whether he is backing up and you know, stonewalling you or rushing forward at you that is a reason to be terrified for your life um a, a lot of the other guys on uh, he anchors the side he anchors the pass um blocking but that that is a big line they are good going forward and if they need to you know fake run block fake pass block um they are well equipped to do it that he frankly couldn't ask for a better line if he doesn't get production out of them. Um, he doesn't really deserve to be coach. They're uh, they're great. Um, as to running backs in the passing game, it's a it's a it's a weird thing. Um, so pe- people I think like to see running backs catch passes. They see screen passes. They're they're fun. They they look neat. You can kind of tell. Um, you get excited when you see one developing, like when the quarterback's about to eat it, and then he gets rid of the ball. Um, but a lot of times running back passes are dump offs um, and not that exciting and don't gain that many yards. You don't actually run that many plays down the field for running backs. And if you're running a passing play, you're usually not designing it to go to the running back because he's not as good a receiver as the receivers are. So 
there may be a little bit more of that. You might see a little bit more of the screen game. Um, you may see some more aggressive routes. Like uh, we, we love circle routes. Um, if you don't know what that is, they're when the running back circles around down the middle, down the seam. It's a super fun route. It's very effective a lot of the time. Um, but it, it really shouldn't be a focal point of the offense. It might pick up a little bit because McCarthy really did not do it very much. But it might get to NFL average. So you might see him a little bit more involved. But it's not something you really want to design too much around. It's it's it really is more of just a safety valve um, thing when it happens, and it kind of should be. Uh, I might not be thinking creatively enough along those lines. Maybe there's something you can do more with that. But um, running backs tend to top out at 10 yards a catch, uh, with some rare exceptions like Gurley had like 13 one year. Um, that that's kind of where it lives, and that's kind of where it should live. I'd much rather see Devonte Adams get an extra 20 targets. So, is it an either or? proposition when you've got so many guys rotating into this into the slot position that you know those slants and stuff are, are we gonna is it if you see more of those does that preclude additional output from the running backs in the passing game or can you live with both um can definitely live with both and if if there's going to be some just you know formation shifting along those lines where um you know you're using your running back as a weapon in that way like you know you line up um in in power you get the defense um to line up against that and then shift and have the running back in the slot and get a mismatch on a linebacker that's great that that's good play design um i i just it's one of those things where the whole play um is designed to create mismatches if that's the best one that's fine take it but you're probably going to have an outside mismatch as well or a tight end mismatch as well and you'd rather have those guys catching passes so it is kind of an either or to some extent that running back unless he's very talented as a receiver is probably going to be, you know, the, the second best option at best on any given passing play. I don't know. Um, I, right. I, yeah, that, that's, that's my thinking on it. So you might see a little bit more of it, but I, I think people get a little too excited about running backs in the passing game. I'd go receivers. Woohoo. <laughs> All right. What's next on our question right. list. Next on our question list. My phone turned off. Um, Oh, <laughs> from, uh, from Archon 14. Um, what would you be willing to give up in draft capital for a competent backup like Nick Mullins or someone along those lines? Um, <laughs> so I, I'm not a good person to answer this one because I would never trade anything for a backup quarterback. In fact, I want Quentin Rollins back for Deshaun Kaiser. That was terrible. I would uh, Rollins has played pretty well for Cleveland. Yeah, he's kind of a malcontent, but like we gave up quality for garbage in that trade. We definitely lost that trade. Um, uh, uh, Nick Mullins does look good. Um, I don't. I, I just if Rodgers goes down, unless you have an heir apparent kind behind him, and that's not Nick Mullins, I just don't think it's worth giving up too much capital for because your season's kind of over, and you might be able to get somebody who can last for a couple games, but you're betting on a very specific set of circumstances if you do that. Like if he misses like six or more, you're kind of done, and there's not much you're going to do about it. And giving up any draft capital on the speculative idea that you can find a backup quarterback that can go like two and two in four games. I just don't think it's worth it. I'd rather have that capital to make the defense better, and that gives you a better chance anyway. Yeah, we talked about this last week with why don't they just move on from Kaiser, and it's pretty clear that yeah. they, they still see something in him. They think he's he is a project that can still be developed. I mean, I, I think that most of us at this point don't agree with that assessment, but it, it does make – there is some wisdom to just, you know, letting him be there, developing. And, and if Aaron Rodgers goes down, you know, God forbid or whatever – they could maybe make a move at that point, depending on where they are in the season, what what maneuvers are available to them if they feel like they had to. But but like you said, anything they can get for a couple draft picks right now is not going to rise the tide enough that you, you'd expect them to be able to 
to pull it together. I mean, I think Matt Flynn actually in the lexicon of backup quarterbacks, the year that he managed to get them these, the improbable number of wins. I think that's 2013 to hold on until Aaron Rodgers returned. Like uh, Matt Flynn's probably about as good as you can get. And, uh, and he wasn't, he wasn't great, but that was, that was as good as it gets. So there's not a, there's not going to be anything out there. That's Mark. I mean, there might be something that's markedly better than Deshaun Kaiser, but yeah. not enough. that's going to make it make a difference in the grand scheme of, of whether or not you have a winning or losing season. Yeah, agreed with that. So I, I would I would cycle through guys more frequently than they do. I don't like how long they hold on to clearly bad quarterbacks. Um, I would I, I just I would draft one or sign a journeyman like every year to a one year deal and see how they are. Um, yeah. but at this point, they, they need to start looking for the next guy too. like it's it's about that time. Um, this is Aaron's age 36 season, which means after the next draft, it'll be his age 37 season. And that's when it's time to start looking for the next quarterback. So, um, yeah, next year, when you hear the words Taysom Hill, what do you think? Do you feel like the (laughs) Packers really screwed up there? I kind of do. I I don't think he's that good, but, but like just at the time, I think he was not clearly the best guy there, but there was a good chance he was the best guy there. They definitely should have given him, I think more of a shake than that. And I mean, Kudos to the Saints for finding other creative ways to use him. Now, he has not been a good passer in the rare cha- times in games when he's thrown passes. He He's like a one for three with an interception, I think, something like that. So, you know, he really is a running weapon. But I'll say this. I would rather have a quarterback whose legs make him a weapon as my backup than one whose arm makes him a weapon because the backups in this league cannot pass very well. And it's easier to find a guy who's good at running. And you can build like a garbage Tebow offense or, you know, something along those lines for two and a half, three games with a guy like that until the league, you know, gets wise to it and scouts it and shuts it down. Like, I'd kind of rather take my chances with the guy like Taysom Hill doing that. Now, I want to be clear. I don't think he's good. Um, But, (laughs) but like, I I would rather have him by far than either of the guys we have right now. Yeah, this is one of those, to bring it back to baseball, there's just some players that, that franchises figure out how to use best. And I'm not sure, even if he stays with the Packers, they wind up figuring out how to unlock what he had to the table. I think he had to go somewhere else to be discovered this way. That's so. probably true. Yeah. All right. So uh, one more, and then we'll wrap up. This is uh, We actually talked about this a little bit already, but from uh, Chase Richard, if Rodgers doesn't play at all in the preseason, is it fair to say that he's running the team to an extent or that LaFleur <laughs> is easy to influence? So first of all, I think, like I said, I think they're on the same page about him not playing or playing. And if Aaron Rodgers wants to not play in a preseason game, all he has to do is go into his coach's office and say, I don't want to play in a preseason game. So it, the fact of the matter is he does run the team to some extent. Um, he has huge pull, and I don't think that's a secret at all. When you're Aaron Rodgers' coach, you know, when you when you manage people, by the way, this is going to be annoying. I apologize in advance. You got, you got two kinds of power. You got you have role power and you have soft power. Role power is when you say, I'm your boss, go do it. Um, people will do that, but they won't do a very good job. It, the key to being a, an, a good NFL head coach is soft power. It is to convince guys to do a good job because they want to impress you. They want you to like them. You, they want they respect you and want you to, you know, show mutual respect. That's what you want. So, um, Rogers is going to throw his weight around if he wants to because he can because he's important. But um, it's not fair to say that he's running the team because he does that because if Aaron Rodgers walks in and says that, nobody's going to tell him no, and they shouldn't. Um, it, 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 not just because he's earned it, but like he, he knows his body best and he knows how to prep best for himself. Um, you know, And if LaFleur wants to get him to, to buy into a system, he's got to make him respect him and actually do a good job of doing that and managing. 
Uh, it's not a, it's not enough to just be there and tell them what to do. Nobody works like that. This podcast is at its absolute best when it's describing power, and uh, I definitely hope we can do some Machiavelli next week. I totally. love uh, I love where this is going. Well, yeah, that's a that's more of a Raiders show, I think, but um, yeah, that that's a good idea too. Do you watch Succession on HBO? Speaking of power, well, no, I've heard it's good, but I have not oh, watched. It's it. Tremendous! It is such a good show. Oh, I love it so much. I mean, I love the sh- I love the show. I hate all the people. It's kind of like. It's kind of like watching the the, ba- the Milwaukee Brewers baseball team. I love uh, the show and so hate the painful. people. <laughs> it happens to be on in the background, which is why I think of that right now. I I, I like all the people. It's just been it's been rough, but uh, but yeah, it's it's such a good show. Uh, if we're talking about power, we could. I think Aaron Rodgers would enjoy Succession. I mean, he I, I know he enjoys Game of Thrones. I imagine because the politics involved in Game of Thrones, I bet you he loves Succession. Entirely possible. I do think he's a big sci-fi fantasy nerd too, though. I mean. He loves the princess yeah, bride, true. so that's it, true. It, that hits him in his whole wheelhouse, I think. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, um, should we should we wrap this guy up here? That's the last sounds question. Sounds good. We have. Yeah, let's do it. We're going to Winnipeg, right? We're going to do this live Ooh. next week, live from from Manitoba. We are not doing that at all. I <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get a passport, man. My passport's over. I need to get a new one if Actually, we're gonna do it. Mine's. Uh, uh, um, mine's about nine years, which is when you should start renewing it. Because I think if you're nine, six months, they won't actually let you back in the country. So, um, nice. yeah, so just everybody knows that get your passport renewed regularly, especially I mean, right now. Um, <laughs> this isn't a terrible time to be stuck in Canada and not be allowed back in. But, um, but yeah, that's definitely, I'm definitely past nine months. It's more or nine years. It's more like, I don't know, 20 since I last left the country. So okay literally in fact 1999 is the last time i left this country so uh so yeah it's a little outdated yeah indeed all right Any, anything you want to plug before we sign off jr no you know so we talked about rashawn gary i actually talked to uh talked to his his old college teammate ben bredesen from arrowhead high school and uh, he is a preseason first team all-american according to the associated press take that for what you will but uh it's uh, it was good catching up with him. He's a he's an offensive guard for the University of Michigan. He's going to be in the NFL next year. He's exceptional at what he does. You know, offensive guard. He, I don't know if he's a first round guy. Probably a, a more like an early third, late second type of guy. But um, definitely one of the best at his craft in in the country. And uh, coming from the state of Wisconsin, so caught up with him a little bit. It's got to be weird to be. You know, you know, Rashawn Gary and, and Devin Bush, and there's another guy. They all came in at the same time, and it's gonna be weird to watch all those guys that you came to college with go into the NFL and start making a paycheck. And you're really good at football still, and he's still at, uh, at college. But, <laughs> yeah, but that-, uh, that should that should post sometime on Tuesday, and uh, or not Tuesday, Wednesday. And uh, for the most part, that's all I got cooking right now. All right. Well, I had my review of the last game up in the Shepherd Express on Tuesday. I wrote a lot about Rashawn Gary and his struggles so far. And later this week at Acme Packing Company, I'm going to have a comparison between HaHa Clinton Dix and Adrian Amos. The Packers, oh, delicious. The delicious. Packers and Bears traded safeties in the offseason. The Bears media and actually the national media thinks that the Bears got the better end of this deal. Um, I can assure you that that is not true. And I'm actually discussing sort of why people think that. And there are totally legitimate and I would say innocent reasons that that is the case. But uh, I will go over all of those in detail. I'm going to be diving into that. That is a, that is a tasty dish that you're serving up there. Um, <laughs> and, you know, actually, one more thing I thought of. Yeah. I did this collaboratively with uh, Piat Levy over at the Journal Sentinel. We uh, the the Pfizer Forum is coming up on one year of of uh, operation, and we ranked our favorite 14 events, including sports and and concerts. I know you. I know you're a music guy too. Oh, yeah. 
and uh, there were some phenomenal shows. It is impossible to imagine a better year than what Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee had this past year when it comes to, you know, Mark, they had Bucks going to, of course, to the Eastern Conference Finals. They had just Ariana Grande, Justin Timberlake, Metallica, the Killers, like, you know, big comedy routines, just an amazing slate. So uh, so we ranked our, our, our favorite 14 sports, uh, sports event may or may not be number one. I don't know. All right. Cool. Looking forward to reading that. That sounds great. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, well, um, until next time, um, thanks everybody for listening. Um, you can download the show usually every Wednesday, and uh, we will have a few Patreon reward announcements going on pretty soon. Actually, maybe in this very podcast. We'll see if I get to recording it. And I will edit this last part out. Um, all right. <laughs>